0: From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. So we're in Revelation looking at the seven churches, the message of Jesus to the seven churches. Um, And if you're just joining us online for the first time, we're in week six and we're looking at the fifth church and this is written by John most believed to be the apostle John and he's in the spirit on the Lord's day he says in worship he encounters Jesus and Jesus opens his eyes to some things and has him write a letter to seven churches in Asia Minor now what is said to one church this is important what is said to one church is actually said to all churches i want to throw up a map for you there um this is one letter That was written, see these little um, red dots here. This is one letter that was distributed to all seven churches. All those seven churches are privy to what is shared to the other churches. It's not like he wrote private letters to each of them and sent them individual letters. He wrote one letter and then it was distributed among seven churches. And so each church, even though this message today was specific for one church, the other churches can receive the truth and receive the principles and apply it. And the same is with us. In fact, at the end of each message, Jesus shares these words. He says, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Not to the church. Right? He didn't say, let let you hear what I'm saying to your church to the churches, and that's still applicable to us today, that we need to have ears, or whomever has ears to hear, let's hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church of God in the 21st century in 2021 through the book of Revelation and through these messages. So if you see that map there, um, Paul, I I can't, if you're online, you're not going to see me pointing. John, sorry, is is down right below here, and he's writing a letter first to Ephesus, and this is actually the mail route. So it goes Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, and that's what some believe would have been the mail route the postal system of the of the ancient world there and so the letter starts begins with Ephesus and goes all the way and will end and today we're looking at the church of Sardis um, Revelations Revelation chapter 3 actually do you know what before we really dive in let's let's bow our heads one more time let's open our ears father we pray today that you'd open our ears to the things that you want to say to us as a church Lord, that as followers of Christ, Lord, that we would be receptive to the challenge, to the rebuke, to the warning, to the encouragement, Lord, and that we would apply those and change, Lord. And if we're here today and you know, we're newer to church or we're all watching online and we're newer to following you, God, I pray that our hearts would just be open to, to your spirit and to the things you wanna say, God, in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. You know, when I was in uh, Bible college, we studied at our local church, and every Wednesday morning at 6 a.m., we would have a prayer meeting. Now, for me at the time, I think it was around 19 years old, my schedule um, did not wake me up at 6 a.m. And so it was very difficult to get up and go to a church for a prayer meeting, but we did that. That's what we did. We'd gather students at 6 a.m. So I'd drive, it was about a 15-minute drive for me to get to the church, and we'd show up. And we'd go into the worship center, which was a massive auditorium. It was a 2,000, I think, um, seat auditorium and we'd all find a space. There's probably about like 10, 15 of us. We'd just find a space somewhere. We'd read our Bibles and we'd pray alone, but, but together. And uh, unfortunately, as, as much as I'm ashamed to admit, is I would spend a little more time sleeping than I would praying at 6 a.m. I would often find myself getting a little too comfortable. You know, in the evenings we get comfortable on the couch, you know, you, just, you get in that nice cozy position and maybe you're not like me, but this is what happens with me. And then you're just comfortable and all of a sudden you wake up. You don't even remember falling asleep. You just wake up, and that's what would happen to me. I'd wake up, and people would be leaving, and I'd be like, oh, gosh, I slept through this entire prayer meeting. Okay, honest question. Any of you ever fallen asleep in church? Oh, raise your hand. Here's the thing. When I'm up here, I see you. You can't fool me. If you're online, you could be sleeping right now. I, I don't know, but I got no judgment. In fact, you know what? Here's the trick. Here's, if you're in the house, if you're online, you can get away with it, but if you're in the house... So what you need to do, and you, know, you had an exhausted, you know, bad sleep night, whatever it is, you're just tired, you come into church, you wanna engage, but you just know it's gonna be one of those days, okay? Put yourself in a prayer posture. You know, take your hands together and bow your head on your hands. And that way, if your spouse or someone next to you catches you snoring, you can just be like, shh, just pray. Just, just You know, there's a difference between falling asleep in church and being in a church that's asleep. There's a difference between dozing because you're exhausted, right? And we're human, like God made us to be people who require rest and rejuvenation. But there's a difference between being a person who dozes because you're exhausted and someone who's so asleep spiritually that inside you are dead. And this is Sardis. Sardis is the sleepy church. It's the slumbering church. Let's look at together, Revelation chapter three says this, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So when he's speaking of the seven spirits there, it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. The number seven is a number of perfection. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at the time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of the person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says. To the churches, that's tough, eh? That's tough. So Sardis, like all the churches, is in modern-day Turkey. the The site of Sardis is the present-day village of Sart, and we're going to show you an image there. It's more like a farm pasture than it is an actual village. So that would have been where the city was. Uh, the city is not in existence today. Much like Jesus' words to the church here, the city that was once alive is now dead. Now dead in desolate ruin. You see some ruins there. But the city was once prosperous. In fact, it was one of the most richest um, kingdoms of the ancient world. It was the capital of the Lydian kingdom in the 7th century BC. And it said that gold and silver coins were actually first minted in Sardis. Which is interesting. The city was built on a rock elevation and the way in which the the walls and city was built made the city almost impenetrable. In fact, this gave the people, um, because of this, the people became overconfident and proud. So between the riches and the confidence, um, this city and the church became complacent, very complacent. And so Jesus says to them, he says, I know your deeds, you have a reputation. Church, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. This was not a church that the unbelieving world, that the city would have thought to be a dead church. This is not what other churches in Asia Minor would have called the dead church. It was a very active church. It had a great reputation, well-organized. Doctrine was sound. Sacraments were celebrated. Was large, it was large. Uh, services were well-attended. It was the wealthiest church out of all seven. Had resources. By everyone's perspective, this church had a fantabulous reputation. In fact, if it was today and you went on Google and you looked at the Google reviews, this would have five plus stars on Google. You know, I looked at our reviews, uh, this church's reviews, not so long ago, and there was a really poor review. And I looked at the, I'm like, oh no, that's not good. A few years back, and I looked at the reason, he said, this this place um, serves really bad pizza. And I thought, that's accurate, because we don't serve pizza at all. I think it's since been taken down and they miss this place. Maybe they're thinking we should have served pizza and we didn't. Maybe we served pizza at an event and it wasn't good pizza, I don't know. But if that's you, we love you. So Jesus looks at them, this church, and he sees what everybody sees, but he sees what everybody doesn't see. He sees what everyone sees. He sees all the good and all the activities and all the resources, but he also sees what no one sees. See, everybody always looks at appearances, Jesus looks at the heart. When the prophet Samuel in the Old Testament was sent to select a king, it's God's king, Saul had failed and, and God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse. because Jesse had many sons and among the sons was the new king of Israel. And many of them looked kingly. They looked like they should be kings. They looked the part. Even to the, the God-spirit-led and power prophet Samuel, God-directed, sorry, Samuel, he thought that among these must be the king, because they looked the part. And so he says, he says, surely the Lord's anointed stands here, but then God looks to Samuel and he says, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. And if you know the story, none of those were... The chosen king, but David, the shepherd boy, hanging out in the sheep in the pastures, tending the sheep, was the shepherd. See, you might be living a life that has the appearance of of following Christ, but God sees you for who you really are. He sees you. Like he sees your deeds, he sees all the good things that you do, but he sees your spirit also. He sees your heart. He sees your spirit behind the deeds. He knows when your actions are a result of a heart that's towards him and not just practices that are void of the spirit. So he says to this church, he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. He says, I have found that your deeds are unfinished in the sight of my God. What you're doing, it's not complete. It's not finished. And there could be a few reasons why. Number one. He could be saying this because this church doesn't finish what it starts. You now, these people have great ideas, great plans, great goals, great intentions, but little follow through, which isn't a hard, hard to imagine, right? It, it reflects spiritual lethargy. Good intentions doesn't mean much unless you have actions behind it. What does the saying go? It's like uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I meant well. Imagine standing before God, but I had good intentions, my intentions were right. For this church, it means that people didn't take time to discern the will of God, or maybe they didn't count the cost before making plans, or they lacked the perseverance to see things through. One commentator referred to Sardis as the half-hearted church, or a church that was content with mediocrity. He says, I know your deeds and have found them unfinished. Is that us? Is that you today? Do you you have little follow-through? Good intentions, but little follow-through. Do you lack perseverance to see your Christ-like commitments through? Are you half-hearted in your service? I'm not just talking about being a part of the dream team on a Sunday morning. Your dedication to God. Are you content with mediocre? The Bible says that this church jesus said wake up said, that's you he says wake up and strengthen what remains strengthen what's about to die stop sleeping through your apprentice to jesus stop trying to coast by secondly is he could be saying that their deeds are not the deeds of god for all of that they did for all of their work it was not oriented toward a living god and his kingdom and his purposes you know for us In all of our busyness, we can easily lose sight of why we're doing what we're doing and lose sight of who we're doing it for. It's like Christmas, right? Everyone gets excited about Christmas. We celebrate with great joy, decor, lights. Some of you are even already thinking about putting up your Christmas tree. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray. But we forget what it's really all about. Right? Like, we tag Jesus onto Christmas. Christmas is great. Oh, yeah, it's Jesus' birthday. Christmas is great. Oh, oh, yeah, it's the birth of our Savior. Let's go to church. We tag him onto Christmas. It should be kind of the other way around. You know, we can go through a whole Sunday service and miss the point. We can sing songs and forget who we're singing them to. We can, we can serve on a team, host team checking people in and ushering them to their seat, teach kids, play an instrument. We can decorate a trunk, a trunk or tree, please do. And neglect why we're doing it. We can let the atmosphere move us. And we can raise our hands and worship because there's just energy in the space. And we can move a little bit. Heaven forbid we actually moved. You know, just so you know, you can, you can dance a little bit in church. I'm not really a dancer, but we can move. Like we can, there's something about moving. Do it. We can do all that and miss the whole point. We can pray with great eloquence and imagery and scripture and miss the point. I can prepare a whole message and preach it with passion and boldness and get some crazy dynamics in my voice. I can bring my voice down soft. And I can bring it up high and never present to you, Jesus. We can work hard and not be about the deeds of God. Was God blessed by it? Did it bring him joy? Was he honored? What did it all mean? What purpose does it serve? A German scholar called this approach to church ecclesiastical sleepwalking. I'm just going through the motions of religiosity and religious formations. Is that you today, church? Is that us? Is that me? Are we just doing the religious thing? Well, the Bible says, Jesus says to this church, wake up! Wake up. This is the words of Christ. The same one who showed compassion to the woman caught in adultery. Same one who stretched out his arms on the cross. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains. If your spiritual life has become consumed with dead formalism and you're just going through the motions of church, then this message to this church, Sardis, is a message for you. Have ears to hear it. Thirdly, is he could be saying that they were not doing what the church is called to do. So Jesus used the image of a lampstand to describe churches. And what does a lamp do? Talk about this in week one. A lamp lights up its surroundings, right? It shines in darkness. It burns in darkness. It shows the way. Now, it's possible that Sardis was not doing the one thing that the church is called to do. And that is make disciples. And that is spread the gospel. What did Jesus say to the disciples before he it into heaven? He says, go and make disciples. More disciples. A sure sign that when you're spreading the gospel is that you're met with resistance. One commentator said to this church, he said, This is a church with a reputation of being live, but it was the perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. You know, Christians, we are not supposed to be offensive, like our tone and our manner. And the way we conduct ourselves is not meant and supposed to be offensive. And if you are an offensive Christian, you're an offensive person. But the gospel message is offensive. When you live and present the gospel, that's offensive. It's offensive because it tells people there's something wrong with them. There's something wrong that needs fixing. Their ways, sinful ways, are offensive to God. They're sinful and they've created a chasm. And it's damning them to hell. Yes, I said that in church. And that's offensive. But God in his love sent Jesus to die for sin and make a way for full life and eternal life. And it's offensive because people say, how dare you say something's wrong with me? How dare you say I need Jesus in order to go to heaven? Like, it's offensive when someone says, like, well, I'm a good person. I think I'll, I'll go to heaven one day. And you say, no, you won't. Because goodness don't get you into heaven according to scriptures. That, that, the message is offensive. Like, I, maybe how I said that is offensive, okay? Yeah, that sounds offensive. But our tone is not meant to be offensive. Christians aren't meant to be offensive. But unlike other churches, Sardis was a church that was not under any pressure. They were not being persecuted. They were not facing it. Why? Because this church had silently accommodated itself to the culture and the practices of an immoral world. They they weren't spreading the gospel. Because they weren't spreading the gospel, they weren't facing pressure. There was nothing about the way in which they lived that stood in contrast to those around them. They weren't shining their light. Their light didn't shine in the darkness. They weren't worth persecuting because they weren't raising their voice for Christ. They weren't sharing Jesus. If you look in the book of Acts, the early church, and you follow the stories of the disciples and Paul, most of the stories in the book of Acts are about the opposition that they faced when they spread the gospel. If you read the stories, it's all about the opposition they faced, but usually there's a couple lines. that says, and they added to their number daily those that were being saved. Because as you spread the gospel, the enemy's gonna rise up. Darkness doesn't want light to shine. It wants more darkness. A good reputation with people doesn't mean that your lampstand is shining. Good reputation in our nation, in our city, in in our town doesn't mean our light is shining. And that's kind of like a balancing act for me a little bit as a pastor, right? Because we want our church parkway to have a good reputation in our community. We wanna have a good reputation. But that reputation doesn't necessarily mean that we are spiritually alive. Doing good things in our community doesn't mean we are spiritually alive. Not the litmus test. Oh, that church is alive. Look, they got, they're feeding 100 people a month, once a month, right? They're doing programs for the community, giving out backpacks. I read a Google review this morning. There was, someone wrote about the backpacks. It's a great church. Those are good things, but it, it's not, that doesn't mean that we're alive. We can come here and be dead. Sardis was a church that had a name for themselves, but Jesus calls their deeds incomplete. And then he's calling them to get out of their slumber and to strengthen what remains because spiritually they're about to die. Daryl Johnson, in his book, um, Discipleship on the Edge, he said this, he said, the lesson of Jesus' message to Sardis can be summarized in the phrase, always on the brink of Every congregation and every individual disciple is always on the brink of losing authentic spiritual life. Are you on the edge? Are you on the brink of losing your spiritual life? Let me give you the answer, we all are. Every single one of us are always on the brink because the life that Jesus calls us to is one that can only be lived in relationship with him through the Holy Spirit. And because it's a relationship, you need to maintain that relationship in order for the relationship to be alive. We cannot live for Christ, we cannot be alive for Christ, do proper deeds for Christ without being connected to him through the Holy Spirit. In John 15, Jesus was sharing with his disciples an analogy of what it means to walk as an authentic follower of Christ. And he used the analogy of a vine and a branches. And he says this in verse four, he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But listen to this, listen to this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. We can be busy and we can be active and we can run programs in the building and we can, as an individual, we can be generous and and we can go through the motions. We can sing songs. You can even amen the pastor once in a while. That's okay, I like that. We can do that right now maybe even. We can do things that associate with the life of Christ and we can gain a great reputation in our workplaces. Maybe you have a great reputation of being a kind soul. But apart from having intimacy with Jesus, we will never have authentic life in us. Apart from him, we're cut off from the vine. Jesus says to this church, Strengthen what little remains because it's about to die. It's a, it's a desperate call of love. He's like, Listen, you're, hang, you're on the brink, you're on the edge. I got to give you this warning because you're about to walk off a cliff. Strengthen what remains. Be in a church. An apprentices of Jesus is a life that we cannot live apart from staying connected to him. So Jody and I, on our honeymoon, we went to a, a resort in Jamaica. And there was this one day where she got a little sick and we took some, she took some cough medicine from the local uh, health unit there. And it kind of knocked her out for a few hours. drowsy a little bit. And so I had a, an afternoon to go do some activities. So I tried wakeboarding. I uh, couldn't get up. Get up at all. I failed terribly. But imagine if I did get up, I'd be really good at it. If I got up, I imagine that I'd be really good. I'd like, I'd do tricks, you know. I used to snowboard, so I, I'd probably hop off a wave a little bit, maybe twirl it around my back, you know, the rope, I mean. I'd 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 be pretty good. People would look at me and be like, whoa, look at that guy. If I got up. I didn't get. It. You know, I was thinking about that. You know, in order to wakeboard or, or ski, you only need three things. You need a boat, you need a rope, and you need a board. The boat style and kind does not matter. Doesn't matter the color of the boat. Doesn't matter what kind of music they're blowing through the speakers, right? Doesn't matter. I've seen all sorts of boats pull wakeboards. The rope, as long as it's durable, doesn't matter the brand, right? Doesn't matter the, the finesse, as long as it can Hold the individual attached attach the boat, and it can remain. So all you need to do to really wakeboard is just hold on to the rope, right? But if I let go of the rope, I'm not going to board anymore. Now, somebody's thinking, wait a second, I've seen people board back of boats, no rope. Because if the boat's going at a certain speed, right? If the boat's going at a certain speed, someone can continue to wakeboard behind the boat. problem is, you can probably only go so far before you're eventually going to sink. And that's a little bit like what it means to follow Jesus. In the life of Jesus is you can let go of the intimacy with Christ. You can let go of following Christ, an intimate relationship and maintaining and remaining in him, and still go through religious motions for a while. You can still surf a little bit on the waves. You can still have the appearance of being a good wakeboarder, a good follower of Christ. Eventually, you're going to sink. Eventually. Spiritually. That's what Jesus is calling to this church. See, life with Christ is one that has lived in power of his Holy Spirit. And if we no longer live in the power of the Holy Spirit, the forms and the motions and the actions may remain, but the inner reality is gone. So Jesus calls Sardis, and he calls us to wake up. Strengthen what remains. He says, remember what you've received. Remember what you received. Hold fast to it and repent by Joel to come up. Sardis so was a city that was overconfident and comfortable. In fact, because it was, um, the city itself was almost invincible, no matter how often it was attacked, it was never overtaken by a direct assault. And that made the people very comfortable, very confident. But twice it became too complacent. In 549 BC, Cyrus captured the fortified part of the city by sending a single soldier up a crevice in one of the walls. And if that didn't wake the church up, or sorry, if that didn't wake the city up, it happened again in 218 BC. Antichus the Great captured the city by sending 15 men to sneak up the wall and open the gates from the inside. So Jesus' admonition to wake up to this church would have carried so much weight as they live in a city that experiences or has experienced Complacency. The history of the city would have told the church that you are never in more danger of falling in your faith than when you are comfortable and complacent. Paul warned the, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12. He says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. You have a reputation of being alive. But you're dead on the inside, dying on the inside. Strengthen what remains. So is that you today? Is that, is that us? Is that Parkway? Are we alive? Are you alive or do we just look alive? Well, let me give you a couple, um, few signs that you are in fact spiritually alive, okay? Vital signs. Number one, do you confess Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of Lords. Because the scriptures tell us that this is a work of the Holy Spirit, that you cannot confess that Jesus is Lord without the work of the Spirit. You cannot come to that conclusion through reasoning alone. Is the sovereign God your father? The New Testament says that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living in us, enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. That term Abba is intimacy. It's personal relationship. It's daddy. It's daddy. You can look to the Father and really call Him Father. Number three, does your life bear the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because those are a result of the inner working of the Holy Spirit. You know, part of me doesn't even like to go to teach on those. I probably will at some point, because you can't make yourself be loving. You can't make yourself be more kind and you can do those you can you know modify your behavior for a time but it will not last this is a a work of the spirit working in you it's an outflow a result of the spirit number four unity and unity among diversity it's a vital sign that the spirit is working among a people bringing them together division is a sign of death of falling apart of separation But the work of God is bringing together, he's a God that reconciles first man unto himself, men to one another. You know what, one of the things I love about the early Pentecostal movement in the 1900s, early 1900s in the Azusa Street Revival, is that it brought people from different classes and demographics and, and, and races together. You had had young and you had old and you had black and you had white in the middle of the um, Jim Crow era. You had rich, like wealthy, and you had extreme poor and they were coming together to meet with God. Unity is a sign of life. Number five is compassion. Christ was full of compassion. Even as he says these hard words in Revelation to these churches, it's full of compassion. He's for them. He spoke truth, he never wavered from it. He was firm at times, but he was compassionate. You can't become like Christ and not have compassion flowing through through your veins. Number six is reproductive. Someone once said authentic life in Christ is reproductive. A church that is alive, a people. When we speak of church, we're not talking about the organization. I'm talking about the group. When he's talking to the church in Sardis, he's not saying, you know, the staff and the elder team and the directors, and he's not talking about that. He's talking about the people. The people. We make up the church. And in a church that is alive has seen people meet Jesus and experience new birth in him. That's one of the reasons why I relish baptisms. I love baptisms. We've had four baptisms this year. We've got another one coming up, which I'm excited about. If you're interested in baptism, talk to me. Number seven is a desire to be holy or as Jesus puts it in this message, dressed in white. God is holy, Jesus is holy and the scriptures call us to be holy because he is holy. I like to remind people that word holy means to be other than, unlike, different than. God is unlike anything else. Jesus is unlike anyone else and we are called to be holy, to be separate from. Right? Not to not to bubble ourselves in you know in our own little corner, but to to have an appearance that is like Christ. And and finally, number eight is a willingness to sacrifice, to lose our lives for Him. Jesus said, "Whoever wants their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for My sake, find it." Are you willing to die for Jesus? It's really easy to say when, when things are going well. Really easy to say. And we're not just talking about death. We're just talking about like death because of Christ, martyrdom. Now, if we're honest, this is a hard list to live up to. I'm gonna be real church. I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't know if we can. That's kind of the point. We can't and we need Christ. We need to remain in him. We need to stay connected to him. We cannot live life as apprentices of Jesus, Have these things, these vital signs be produced in and through us without the supernatural empowering resources of the Holy Spirit in relationship with Christ. can't. You know, Daryl Johnson in that book, again, he made the observation, you never see Jesus saying things like, go and be new people, be alive. Jesus is often saying, come to me, drink of me, eat of me, receive from me, remain in me. It's the Holy Spirit who makes us alive for him. You need to be in him. You want to wake up? want to be alive for Christ, not just the reputation, you need Christ. You need to to get connected to Christ. Let me ask you a couple quick questions, and then I'm going to pray for some people today. Number one is, what place does Jesus occupy in your life? Number two is, if Jesus were to take away his Holy Spirit, would it make a difference? Number three is, when was the last time you shared Jesus with another person? Here was the promise that remained for this church, and it was evangelistic in its thinking. It had spreading the gospel at it its chorus. It says, To the one who is victorious, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. And if you remember in the Gospels, Jesus said, If you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father. Remember that? So here's what I want you to go away with today. Go and make Jesus a priority every day. Make Jesus a priority every day. We prioritize so many things, but make Christ a priority. I wanna pray for somebody today. If everyone bow their heads today, in the room and online, wherever you are listening, everyone within the sound of my voice, nobody's looking around. You're here today and you are being moved by God. You're being moved in your heart and in your mind and you've never made a confession of faith. You've never, you've never said Jesus is Lord. You've never, never chosen to commit your life to him. If that is you today in the house or in line, nobody looking around, just raise your hand. This is just you and God. I'm not even looking. Nobody's looking around. You're acknowledging right now. You've never made that confession of faith. and You want to make a confession of faith today. You want to you commit your ways to Jesus. You want to follow after him. I want to pray for you. If that's, if that's you today, I want you to, want you to pray this after me. I, in fact, everyone, would you just repeat this after me? Dear Father, I need you. I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. Forgive my sin. Come into my heart. and Be my Lord. Commit to you, to following you from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that for the first time, here's what I need you to do: I need you to acknowledge that before a friend that maybe if you're in the house, you're online. You need to tell somebody, and then you need to tell us because you can't just make that commitment privately. That's a public thing. I couldn't. I couldn't make you stand. Show a little bit of extra grace and just say, you need to tell somebody because Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before others, I will acknowledge you before my Father. But the Bible also says that there's more celebration in heaven over the one that comes back than over the many, right? So I get excited about salvation. I get excited about genuine salvation because heaven gets excited about salvation. If that's you today, let me know. If you're online and you did that, you know, you're listening later on, let me know. Let us know. Reach out and say, I made a decision to follow Christ today. I want to pray one more time, if you would bow your heads. You're here today and you've confessed Christ, but you find yourself to be sleeping. You find yourself to be slumbering. You find yourself to be a little bit more um, dead-like than alive-like. You may have a reputation of being alive, but you know the inner self, the inner you is dying. There is little spiritual life and, and the spirit of God is poking you today and he's getting a hold of you today and he's, he's, he's challenging you and you want to recommit, you want to, you want to rededicate, you want to say, I need some prayer, I need, I need life in me, I need the spirit of God, I need to be filled with him once again. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? Something in you, this message to Sardis is just for you. Jesus is saying, you've got a reputation, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains. If that's you and you need prayer today, would you raise your hand? Keep them up. Father, you see every hand, God. What do you see, every hand? You see the desire in them. To, to become alive once again, to, for those things that are there, to, that are remaining to be strengthened, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus, will you inject into their inner being, to their soul, to their spirit, to their mind, to their heart, a fullness of the spirit of God. Right now, you see the hands in this room, God. You see the ones online. I pray in Jesus' name, would you let life of Christ come back to their body, come back to their life. Lord, I pray that they would feel renewed, Lord, and even as the psalmist prayed, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. And I pray that over every person that you would renew a steadfast love for God. Life once again, Holy Spirit, that you would fill and you would empower once again. Jesus, you saw the hands. They've acknowledged, they want it, they desire it. They wanna, they wanna wake up. Lord, you also see the hands that didn't raise. You know the ones that are dying, God, but have not woken up. Lord, and have not acknowledged it. I pray in Jesus' name, would you convict us of our sin? And would you call us, God, to repent? And with the Holy Spirit, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you so grab a hold of our inner being and stir us and awaken us from a slumber? In Jesus' name, that we would repent. So that one day when we stand before you and and you open up the book, you'll find our name written in there because we've acknowledged Jesus as our savior, not just because of our deeds, not just because of our actions, but because we have intimacy with Christ. Lord, you say this is eternal that they may know you. This is eternal life that they may know you. So I pray that over every person, God, Lord, you see our hearts, you see our inner beings. Pray that over Parkway Church, would we not just be a church that does programs and and groups and, and outreaches and activities, Lord, for the sake of those things, but would they be the outflow of a life connected with Christ, Lord, when we gather, when we meet and worship and hearing the word, God, would your spirit flow in life? Would there be life in this body? Would we have a reputation before heaven as being alive? Even if, God, before our community, and before our nation, they look at us and they find the message we preach offensive, the gospel. Would you look at us and see a church that is alive? That our light would shine in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I just got this image in my head of that. You know, when you're, you know, we put our kids to bed every night and we, they have a nightlight in the room. And sometimes when we first turn off the light, their eyes haven't adjusted so like, it's too dark, right? They want more light. We always, we always try to remind them, your eyes are gonna adjust, don't worry, your eyes will adjust. Because later on in the middle of the night, they open their eyes and that, that little shining light is bright. And that's what happens when a church and a people are shining bright for God is darkness does this. It's hard for darkness to look at a light that's shining. So that's where the persecution, that's where the resistance, that's where the opposition comes. The darkness wants to turn off the light, Right? Oh, turn, turn off the light. It's too bright. It's too bright. And that's where we can have a great reputation. They want to come in. Oh, I like this church. This is a great church. But it's not bright. The light's not shining. It's not exposing the darkness. I would want us to be a church, Parkway Church. I want us to have a great reputation in our community. I do. I want our community to know that we're, we're about the love and grace of God. I want that. But I want us to be a church that is burning bright light for Jesus that we become the lighthouse that exposes darkness that do you know what yeah darkness is afraid to enter in because this church is alive for Christ you know what I mean tracking with me with that hopefully my train of thought is, is clear that's my, that's my heart like know that that's, that's not me just trying to give you some Lord of last tag on that's like I really want that for our church I wants to be alive I want us to have a reputation in heaven on Parkway to have a reputation in heaven. Watch out for that church. I want God to say to his angels, look out, that one's burning bright. That one's burning bright, but they don't have the extra program. Oh, It's burning bright, it's alive. But they're not doing this. Oh, but now it's funny is I could preach longer. I'm not going to, but James talked about that. He's, what does he say? Faith without works is dead. We don't do the works for the sake of the works, but the works are a result of the faith. So be somebody that wakes up this week. Wake up a little bit and make Jesus come a little bit more alive alive in your everyday. Strengthen what remains because I think all of us are on the brink. We need to remain in him. You with me? Well, Father, we thank you for today and we thank you for your presence in the house and we thank you for your presence in the service, Lord. We love you. We bless you, God. You are the point. You are the reason. And I pray and hope, God, that you are glorified, that you're honored. And today brings you joy. But Lord, I pray when we leave this place that our lives would continue, God, to bring you joy. God, that we would continue to honor you and exalt you with our lives in the name of Jesus, God. So strengthen us, help us to live for you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Listen, if if you're in the house and need prayer, I'm up at the front. Otherwise, God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church you can visit our website weareparkway.com you can also like us on facebook and follow us on instagram at parkway.church